Okay, um, ladies and gentlemen, uh, good evening. Welcome to LSE's Siebel, uh public speech. And this is the first one for this academic year. SIBO uh, has a mission to uh, liaise with the public. And uh, today, well, uh, you know, very, very fortunate. Uh, it gives me great pleasure to welcome uh, our first speaker, um, Mr. Anthony Thompson. And uh, let me say a few words about him. When I go through his CV, I'm completely convinced he's a good example of the British entrepreneurship. Right? Um, he is uh, a very successful entrepreneur in the banking sector. Uh, he personally responsible for two banks. Uh, the first one is a Metro Bank, and he's building another bank called Atom Bank. And he's also very active in the media. He's uh, working for ITV, Sky News, and also a forum called Financial Service Forum with uh, uh, you know, professional membership uh, and a comment on the current best practice. And uh, on top of that, he's also involved in the academia in the UK and uh, he's visiting professor in one of our London uh, colleges. So uh, today he's going to talk about his view about um, banks, customers, and he will relate to this to culture uh, and the best practice. So ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome Mr. Thompson. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, good evening, everyone. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, I think that was probably a better introduction than my presentation. It was uh, outlining what I'm going to say probably far better than I can because I'm not 100% sure exactly what I am going to say. Uh, when I was invited to speak, just before I start, I guess there's two points I'd like to make. Um, first, I was asked, given it's the Confucius Institute, would I like to say a few words in Chinese, and I politely declined. <laughs> and, the, and the reason for that is because, in my experience, and, and I've had the pleasure of speaking at LSE before, uh, most of you, for most of you in this room, English is a second language. Who's it? Second language? Yeah, for, for most of you. And in my experience, most of you speak English better than I do. <laughs> so um, it was not for me to patronise you by trying to speak in, French, in uh, Chinese when you probably don't understand my English anyway. Uh, the second thing I was asked to talk about was relating my presentation to the Confucius Institute in general and China in particular. And again, I'm not going to do that because... I, I was just working it out yesterday. I, I've had the pleasure of speaking in now uh, 18 different countries. Uh, most recently, last week, I was in Iran, and I was speaking at a conference in Tehran. And my experience is that whilst cultures may vary dramatically, indeed, the equivalent of this event in Tehran started 
uh, with a reading from the Quran. It was, uh, it was uh, started with prayers. So whilst cultures change quite dramatically, in my experience, what motivates individuals doesn't. And there's some common themes which, which bind us all together, whatever culture we come from. And I want to talk about some of the themes that are important to me. So there are themes around, around business. Um, I'm going to touch a little bit on banking, although I'm not a banker by background. Um, culture is incredibly important to me. And the purpose of creating businesses is very important to me. So, those of you who are involved or wish to be involved in business, who thinks that the purpose of business is to make money? Well, probably about a quarter of you. Well, I'll, I'll fundamentally disagree with you. And I'll, I'll come back to tell you why I disagree with you uh, in a minute. But back to my first point about language. Um, you all speak very good English, I know. But maybe you don't understand English people. So I'm just going to share two slides with you to start with. Thank you. Yep, I'm going to attempt to share two slides with you. Oh, no, before I do that, this is what I'm going to talk about. Just some various thoughts uh, that I'm going to share with you. Uh, right, so this is something I came across, which is I think is really interesting. So if an English person says to you, with the greatest respect, you may well think that he is respecting you and has an interest in what you say. And if an English person says to you, that's not bad, you might think, well, it's not very good. Um, this is a great one. If an English person ever says to you, that is a very brave proposal, <laughs> particularly if one of your professors says to you, that's a very brave essay, uh, you may think, it means something different. And if we say, hmm, that's very interesting. <laughs> so, let me tell you what we actually mean by all of those things. <laughs> if I say to you, when you ask me a question, with the greatest respect, I actually mean I had no respect for you whatsoever. <laughs> okay? And if I say to you, that's very interesting, what that means is I'm going to walk out, of, I'm going to put it in my memory, I'm going to walk out of here and I'm going to throw my head away. Okay, so just bear that in mind. We are, as, um, as I think Oscar Wilde once said of us and the Americans, two nations separated by a common language. So often what we, you think we're saying, what we think we're saying might be two different things. Anyway, hopefully that's cleared all of that up. Yeah? Good. Um, you very kindly described me as a banker. I'm not a banker. Um, I came into banking in 2008, which was not a great time, actually, to come into banking in the UK. And it was pretty much epitomised by this. A friend of mine sent me this uh, slide, uh, sent me this picture. We have in uh, Seaside Arcade, some of you might have been to them, we have all sorts of games you can play, that children can play. You put in a few coins and you play a game. And this is one that... I was trying to get this translated in Iran. It didn't really work. It's called whack-a-mole. Yeah, whack-a-mole. You all know what that means. Obviously not. So you get this hammer here. Yeah, you see the hammer? Pick up the hammer. And something will pop up and you have to hit it. Yes? 
And they don't come up in the same order, they just come up in a random order. And what comes up are a little fur rats or little fur moles, hence called whacker rat or whacker mole. Uh, in 2008, this game was put into an arcade just outside of Brighton. And uh, there's a kind of clue in the way it goes at last. It, it's in the Lloyds Bank colours. If you look at it closely, it says, truly war. Um, minimum investment, only 40p. No hidden charges. What comes up here aren't rats or moles, they're bankers. And each one of them had a name. So Fred Goodwin was named on there, the chief exec of, of Lloyd's, and all of the other banks were named on there. So this is what people thought of banking back in, in 2008. So not a great time to come into banking. But which is good, because I'm not a banker. And um, I have no real interest in banking. Uh, I am, I guess, by background a marketer. And as marketers, what we do as marketers is we look at data to look for consumer insight. Yep, so that's all we do as marketers. Whatever else they tell you, they're lying. What we do is, why it's a three-year course, I don't know. We look at data and we look for marketing insight. So I'm, I'm a marketer by background and an entrepreneur in the fact that I like building businesses. So that, that's what I enjoy doing. Um, and you could say I'm an opportunist because... I saw an opportunity to create a bank back in 2008. I see an opportunity to create another one today. Um, I see it more as looking at the data. And what the data told me back in um, 2008 was that, unsurprisingly, nobody liked banks. Well, you, know, you don't have to be a genius to work that out. But what the data also told me is that what customers, what people like you look for from banks is value. And what bankers construed that to mean was price. So banks think that what matters to customers is price. And what customers say, what matters to us is value. And value is an amalgam, I would suggest, of a number of different things. So price is clearly part of it. But in the UK, only 11% of people choose their bank because of price. For everybody else, it's a bunch of other reasons. And the two biggest reasons are service, or lack of it, and convenience. Um, there's also things around people like to be treated consistently by their bank. They don't like to be treated well one day and badly the other day, another day. They hate it when new people, new customers, get a better deal than they do as an existing customer. So value, for each of you, value will be a slightly different thing, but those are the primary constituents of it. So the UK banks thought all matter was price, and I thought overwhelmingly what matters to people is service and convenience. So the insight which underpinned Metro Bank was two things. Open when customers want to use the bank. So from eight in the morning till eight at night, so you can bank on your way to work or to, on your way to university on your way home or on your way out, and Saturdays and Sundays. Because what's the point of a bank being open from nine till five when you're all working or studying? So the service, the convenience element was let's open when customers want to use it. And the, the service element was around, well, let me put it another way. Every bank in the UK says that they are committed to customer service. They all say they put you first. Well, not you particularly, you, you collectively. Maybe they care about you, I don't know. Um, 
So what, what do they mean by that? Well, they say you are the most important thing. You are the most important thing to us as a customer. But then, all of the people who serve you have sales targets. And they are rewarded for selling you things. And about a third of their income comes from selling you things. Now, I think those two things are um, mutually exclusive. You cannot say you are customer-centric, give great service, and then reward people for selling you things. So everyone within Metro Bank, all my colleagues at Metro Bank, were, served, uh, were rewarded on one thing and one thing only, which is service, which we measured very, very hard every day. But that's what we rewarded people for. So Metro opened on the 29th of July 2010. Um, as of today, it's got around 400,000 customer accounts, um, about a three billion pound balance sheet. And bear in mind, it started at zero. So it's grown quite a bit, I mean, small by bank standards, but it's grown a lot in, 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 the, last, uh, in the last few years. But the two things I'm most proud of are the two statistics on the bottom. Uh, first is that um, anybody studying maths here? We study maths? A couple of you. So 93% is about 9 out of 10. Um, 9 out of 10 of our customers are satisfied or very satisfied with the service they get. Now what's important about that is satisfied customers, if you are satisfied, if you like something, you will recommend it to your friends. And this is what happened. And about um, 8 out of 10 accounts we open are from recommendations. So about half, more than half of the people who open accounts open them because someone like you said, this is a great place to be. So that was Metro Bank. That was back in 2010. Remember 2010? This is a long time ago. Um, do you know what came out in 2010? You have a guess. Wasn't world peace. Go and have a guess. The, I, the iPad. The iPad came out in 2010. I know, hard to believe, isn't it? I remember looking at it and thinking, what's the point of that? Seriously, I thought, who's going to... It's got no memory, it's got no keyboard. Who's going to buy this? And we, between my wife and my three kids and I, we've got six. <laughs> so, I'm not saying I'm good at predicting the future. It's all I'm, the point I'm making there. So, I stepped down as, as chairman of Metrobank at the end of 2012. Um, because in 2012, by 2012, the data, market data, was telling me something very, very different. And what the market data was telling me is that there is this absolute seismic shift, quite extraordinary. Nothing in my roughly 30 years of marketing have I ever seen anything move as fast. And it is the move to digitization in general and to mobile in particular. Mobile devices of the future. So why start another bank? Well, I can sum it up for you in one slide. And even better than that, it has virtually no words on it. Because everybody hates their banks. It's the first thing. Secondly, they think they're all exactly the same. And thirdly, the banks themselves are mired in uh, legacy real estate... They've got thousands, there's 8,000 bank branches in the UK. Uh, a, a survey I read yesterday from A.T. Kearney reckons that 
you only need 800 to cover the entire country. So we're massively overbanked in, in terms of branches. So what was the insight that underpinned the launch of Atom Bank, which I'm going to tell you about in a second? What was really interesting? In digging into the data, as I continue to do, as I troll through the data, it said something which it had probably always been there, but I'd never really read it, or I either, either I didn't want to read it, which was nobody actually likes banks. Nobody cares about banks. Nobody wakes up in the morning and goes, Woo! I can bank today. Nobody cares. All people want to do is get it done quickly, seamlessly, painlessly, and get on with the important things in their lives. And if you can make it a better experience, so much the better. But the first things are the most important. Quick, seamless, effortless, wherever I am. And that was really the insight which underpinned uh, Atom Bank. Uh, and Atom will be launching in the middle of next year, and it will be the first truly digital bank in the UK. It is designed for mobile. In fact, even more than that, it's designed to be delivered through an app. So you will um, interact with us through an app on your phone. Almost said iPhone. There are other phones available. Um, what that enables us to do is solve two problems. Because one of the things with Metrobank was, if you want to give people great service, you want to be open eight in the morning to eight at night, you want to be open seven days a week, you want to create nice environments. They're very, very expensive. Each metro bank uh, store, I guess many of you will have seen the one up on the corner at Hoban. Yeah? F fair few of you. That costs a little over two million to build. And it costs about um, a million and a quarter a year to run. So Metro Bank now has 28 branches, so call that roughly 60 million in build-out, and call that roughly 40 million a year in operating costs. So delivering that service is very, very expensive. But what the data tell us today is that people want to serve themselves. And if you look at First Direct, are there any First Direct customers here? <coughs> couple. You should, it's a great bank. Between now and June of next year, bank with First Direct, they're great. After June, Atom Bank. But between now and then, go to First Direct. First Direct has the highest customer satisfaction ratings of any bank in the UK, by a long way. Its customers absolutely love it. And if you dig into that, that data, what it tells you is the customers within First Direct who are most satisfied are those who serve themselves. They go, well, that's crazy. How can, I, how can I say I get the best service by serving myself? But it's back to the insight I mentioned earlier. What people are saying is, I don't really care about banking. I just want to get it done. I want to get it done quickly, instantly, seamlessly, and get on with my life. And if you can do that, I'm a very satisfied customer. So within Atom Bank, what we think we can do is give great service, because all you want to do is take it out, go, I want to transfer some money to Pat, it's done, now let's get on with drinking my Starbucks. Um, so we can deliver the service, but the other great thing is because it's digitally delivered, um, it's a very low cost model, very, very low cost model. Uh, Lloyd's today talked about their cost income ratio, which is 
your cost is a proportion of your income. Funny enough, that's probably why they call it the cost-income ratio. And it's about 49%. And they want to get it down to 47% in the next four years. Our cost-income ratio is going to be less than 30%. So what that means is, as well as giving you great service, we can give you great value products because it just costs us less to run our business than it costs other people. Okay? With me so far? Yeah, good. Um, when I've, I've started a number of businesses over the years uh, with varying degrees of success, but whatever I've done has been driven by a belief in a set of in a vision and a set of values. And values are very important to me. And I would suggest, how many of you would like to start a business? So we've got yeah, probably about a third of you is budding entrepreneurs. Um, I think it's very important that you ground your business model in a set of values. We've got a very clear mission. We want to change banking for good. We want to change it permanently for the better, which is quite a big mission. But arguably anybody could say it. You know, I guess Lloyds could say that or, or um, Barclays or anybody else. The next thing is to say, well, what's the vision? And we spend a lot of time thinking about what's the vision for our business. What, looking out many years, is it we're trying to create? Oh, we came up with all these rather anodyne-sounding things that, frankly, anybody could say. I said, you know, we're not there yet. It's got to be really big. And, frankly, it's got to be quite ballsy. Um, I don't know how that translates, but it's got to be, you know, something challenging, something that... Invariably, when you see it, you either have a sharp intake of breath or you giggle nervously. And this is ours. Well, we've had a giggle, no sharp intakes of breath. So we say we want to be the first telepathic bank. Our vision is to be the first telepathic bank. Well, what do we mean by that? Uh, two things. First is with... Data storage is now as cheap as chips. It's virtually free. So there's no amount of data on our customers we cannot, cannot store. Either data, uh, proprietary data, our own data, or data that we gather in from elsewhere. Um, and with the data analytics that are available today and the predictive technologies, we think we can know what you need from your bank before you do. The reason is because we're looking at the data all day, every day, and we're applying a great deal of thinking to it. So one of the ways we express this is when you, you know when you get your bank statement at the end of every month, and it has a list of your uh, expenses and any money that you've paid in. Ours is on your phone, and we give you last month's bank statement, and we'll also give you next month's bank statement. Well, so how do we do that? Well. We know about all of your standing orders and your direct debits, and we know every July you go on holiday, and every February your car insurance comes up for renewal, and blah, 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 blah. The more data we know about you, the more we can predict what's going to happen in your banking in the future. So that's what we mean by telepathic banking. Well, that's the first thing. And the second thing is there are experiments taking place today, where, particularly with disabled servicemen, where they are able to control computers by thought. 
Now, they're not actually controlling them by thought. It's, it, the thought waves change a chemical progression in the brain, and the sensors monitor that chemical progression. But it works as if it was by thought. And it's only a matter of time until you can actually control your devices by thought. It will happen within, say within my lifetime. I'm quite old. It certainly happened within your lifetime. So that's what we mean by telepathic banking. One of the things I hate is when you're banking, you have to remember passwords, and then you've got to remember a second set of passwords, and then a third set of passwords, and your father's middle name, and your mother's maiden name, and your first dog, and your... You know, it's just crazy. So we are using biometrics. So your face and your voice are your point of access. With Atom Bank, you don't need to have any passwords to, to access your banking. And it's much more secure because nobody can look over your shoulder when you're typing in your password. They well, they can rather. They can do that, but they can't borrow your face. And the great news is cutting off your head doesn't help because it needs a flow of blood. So it's not like people are going to be cutting your head off and holding that up. It's just wanted to reassure you that, was, that, 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 that was okay. So all biometric, and Mark Mullen, the chief exec of, of, um, of Atom Bank, has a great expression. He says, you don't even need to remember your own name to bank with us. You just need to remember your face and your voice and maybe your fingerprint. I, just, I paid 30 pounds for the cartoon. I've got to get some use out of it. I can now claim it back on my expenses because you've all seen it. Um, couple of things I want to talk I want to go through quite quickly and you remember I was talking about vision and values one thing that's very important to me is belief so this is the interactive part of my presentation unless you know who this is who's this have a guess oh sorry you can't see him I'm looking at him up there I'll get, I'll get out of the way who's this well have a guess what he does sorry is that me? Oh, you're so sweet. I'm going to cancel my... I was going out for dinner later. I'm going to cancel that. That's, that's so sweet. No, it's not me. It's not me. So, okay. Sorry, somebody else said? Mountaineer. Mountaineer. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Um, it's actually taken on the top of Everest. Well, I'm a bit suspicious. It's meant to be on the top of Everest, but I think that mountain behind is higher. <laughs> but I'm assured that it was taken on the top of Everest. And it's, it's a guy called uh, Eric Wenemeyer. There are uh, many, many people who have climbed Everest. Uh, the youngest, I think, is 14, and the oldest, I think, was a Japanese gentleman of around 70. So you're climbing Everest. Yeah, a lot of people have done it. What makes Eric Wenemeyer unique is he's blind. And he was, he was sighted until he was seven, and then he lost his sight. So he knows what it is to be sighted, but he lost his sight. And he climbed Everest. And I heard him speak at, a, at a, something a bit like this. And um, apart from being an extraordinarily good speaker, he said something which struck me quite viscerally. And it, it put into words something, a kind of abstract thought I had, but which I want to share with you. 
And have you all heard the expression, seeing is believing? Yeah, you've heard the expression, seeing is believing? Eric said, that's wrong. He said, believing is seeing. Believing is seeing. Now, when we were building Metro Bank, we had no idea whether it was going to work or not. We had some good days and we had some bad days. Sometimes things worked, sometimes things didn't work. But all the time, I had a belief that we could build a bank that would make a difference. And even on the very, very worst days, I, I had this picture in my mind of what it is that we were going to do. I could see what the outcome was going to be. I just believed in it. And the first, and you, you feel free to ignore everything I say, but one thing I would just say, give some thought to is, if you don't believe in what you're doing, don't do it. Yeah? If you don't believe in what you're doing, don't do it. Go and do something else. Find something you believe in. Because life's too short to do something that you don't believe in. And I've said this in front of, I was invited to address the management group of a, of a, of a big company, 100 top leaders. The, the chief exec was sitting over there and there's 100 most important people there. And I, and I said the same thing. I said, look, if you don't believe in this company, leave. Because you're not doing the company any favours and you're not doing yourselves any favours. So just, do you believe in what you're doing? And if when you're thinking about what you're going to do next or at some time in the future, ask yourself, do I really believe in this? And if you don't, I would suggest don't do it. Um, who's anybody been into Metro Bank? A couple of, a few of you, not enough. Between now and April, you can also open accounts in, Met, in, in Metro Bank, because I'm still quite a big shareholder. Um, so this is, this is a coin counting machine. And um, what happens is you've got a pocket full of coins, and if you want to bank them, you want to take them to any of the high street banks, they will make you bag them in exactly the right amount, so 101 Ps or 20, 50 Ps or you know, whatever it is. And if it's only 99 pence or 101 pence, they won't take it. It has to be exactly the right amount. And then they charge you for the privilege of taking your money. So they'll charge you typically 13% for, for taking your, your money. With these machines, you drop your coins in there, you get a slip of paper, take the desk, we either give you in notes or we'll put it straight into your account for you. And the machines are free to use. Furthermore, if you are a child, or childlike, <laughs> there is here a little video window and you can play a game. And the game enables you to guess how many coins, or the value of your coins, and if you get within 10% either way, you win a prize. So what kids do is pre-count the coins, <laughs> put it in, guess precisely, and win a prize, which I think is great. It says a lot about the future of a numeracy of, of the next generation of, of children. Anyway, irrelevant, really. The key thing about this is these machines cost about £20,000 to... Uh, sorry, I keep forgetting you guys are up there. Oh. Um, they cost about £20,000, these machines, um, and they're free to use. So there is no return on investment. There's just an absolute belief if we give the customers a better experience, they will come to us and they will recommend their friends. Or if we give you a better experience, you will spend more time with us and you will recommend us to a friend. Um, 
I've built a number of businesses and they've all been predicated on three things. And I think three things are what matter to me in building businesses. It doesn't matter what the business is. I just share them with you. They might work for you, they might not. Um, the first is about building a differentiated model, then about creating a culture to underpin that model, and then finally the way in which you execute it every day. And I believe if you do those three things and you do them well, you can create fans of your business. Now you might go, well, who would be a fan of a bank? Yeah, I can see nod, some sage nodding going on here. Um, in terms of a differentiated model, remember what I said at the beginning, all of the UK banks thought that the only thing that mattered to customers was, was price. And we said, no, what matters is value. And that's about service and it's about convenience. So we were differentiating our model from, from the other banks. In terms of Atom Bank, it's about if you have no legacy real estate, you have no branches, you can deliver very low-cost banking, which means better service for customers and better value products. So there can only ever be one lowest-cost provider of anything. And there can only ever be one Walmart. So you've got to say, what are we doing in our business to differentiate us from everybody else. Same thing is about creating a culture which underpins that. And, and I alluded to that earlier when I was talking about rewarding people. If what we want to do is give great service, then reward people for giving great service. Don't reward them for selling things. And I've been into many, many businesses, and you talk to them and they go, we are embracing the digital, the new wonderful digital world. And then they won't allow their people who work for them to use digital devices at work. You go, well, you're saying one thing and you're doing another thing. Your culture has to underpin your model. So we welcome people bringing lots of different devices. We welcome people playing on their devices at work. We welcome people using social media sites and other sites because that helps us understand our business better. Then the final bit is just about the delivery of it. And I used to think, yeah, it's, it's, if you can just find the one big thing that's different, one big thing makes all the difference. It's not. It's just doing a hundred little things that bit better every day. And if you do that, you can create fans. Now, you can't, you can't see this in any great detail. This is a feedback form from a customer for Metrobank, and it's a very good one. We get bad ones, but I wasn't going to put a bad one up. So it doesn't really make the point I was trying to make here. But it's a real one. It's a real one from a customer, and it, everything in red is from the customer. So how can we improve our service to you? You can't ringed in red. Um, how would you rate the service you received at Metrobank? Excellent, yes, exclamation mark. Uh, based on your overall experience, will you recommend Metrobank to a friend? Definitely, underscored three times, exclamation mark. I put it to you that this person is a fan. <laughs> now, not everybody is. I accept that. There are, we get complaints like everybody else. But if you create a differentiated model, if you create a culture that underpins that model, and you work at it all day, every day, you can create fans even in a business as hated as banking. Um, I stole this from a presentation I saw in, in Norway, because I just thought it looks great, a great picture. But the words are fantastic. It, it, it translates as culture eats strategy for breakfast. 
culture eats strategy for breakfast. You have the best strategy in the world, but if you don't have an aligned group of people with a shared common culture delivering it, it's worthless. I'd far rather have a great culture and a poor strategy than a great strategy and a poor culture. Because you will achieve more with a great culture. Uh, because you're all academics, I thought I'd share this uh, piece of academic work with you. It's a book um, by two Harvard academics called Raynor and Ahmed. And it's called uh, Three Rules, um, How Exceptional Companies Think. Um, you can get it on Amazon, and it's about £30. And the first rule is, and this is, I think it's on the next slide, based upon a 10-year uh, longitudinal study, 25,000 companies. So it's a, it's a decent-sized piece of academic work. And the first rule that they come up with is you create better before you create cheaper. You don't compete on price. You build a better product or a better service, or a better customer experience. And then the second rule is you put revenue before costs. You can't cost cut your way to growth. Cost cutting is just a part of the daily housekeeping or management of your business. You've got to grow your revenue before you reduce your costs. So, yeah, 25,000 companies over four decades. So fairly hefty piece of work. So, so far so good. I like, I like the first two rules. Um, I have to confess I was a bit disappointed with the third one. They said there are, there's no third rule. Now I thought well perhaps they should have called the book the two rules. <laughs> or maybe instead of £30 it should only have been £20. <laughs> But the more, the more I thought about it, you know, it's, it's not actually that bad because it does make the point, or the two points, that there are only two things that matter. Everything else is up for grabs. Um, utterly meaningless, I just thought it was very funny. Um, right, profit. Remember at the beginning I said, who thinks that the role of business is to make money? And a few of you put your hands up. So I don't have to put it up again, um, unless we can argue. I, I like arguing. We can have questions and answers or an argument. I don't mind at the end. Um, I know a number of people have been very successful in business. And my view of business is that profit is a byproduct of doing something well for the customer. The purpose of business should be to produce a better product or a better service or a better experience for the customer. And profit is a byproduct of doing that well. And I think that one of the great problems in UK PLC today and banking in general is that people have, have lost sight of that. People who run their businesses have lost sight of it. They just think they're in business to make money. And the only other thing I'd like to leave with you, other than the bit about, I would respectfully hope you will think about, do you believe in what you do? Is if you're going to create a business, or you're going to work in a business, you should be working there to create a better product, or a better service, or a better experience for your customers. And if you do that well, and you manage your business well, you will make a profit. Thank you very much. <laughs>